0: Welcome back for another episode of the fintech podcast thank you for joining us today and remember however you're tuning in please remember to subscribe and follow the fintech podcast for the latest updates best known as lady fintech to some of our listeners our special guest today is janine otto who for over a decade has gained a significant amount of fintech experience and knowledge we will be talking all things fintech and how risk management plays a vital role in the industry So Janine, welcome to uh, the FinTech podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing?
1: Hi, um, I'm doing very well, thank you. And thank you for inviting me to be a guest on your episode, on your podcast.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure. You know, I'm very, um, very excited to find out more about some of the topics we're gonna be talking about today. So um, actually with that being said, um, perhaps you could maybe uh, introduce yourself to our listeners so they can find out a bit more about your FinTech background.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I'm Janine Otto. I'm uh, 32 years old. I live in Berlin, in Germany at the moment. Uh, It's like this, that uh, after school graduation, you can do two things. You can either go straight to college to study, or you can start an apprenticeship, like a training. And uh, I decided for that, for the training, and uh, to become a foreign language correspondent. And part of this training was an internship abroad, which I completed in Dublin. And so it it was the first time I actually went abroad. I was 20 at the time. This was only an internship for half a year, so I had to go back to Germany. But in fact, I enjoyed Dublin the time there so much that I applied there as well. And I was hired in 2010 uh, at PayPal. The big fintech company, I was hired into risk operations department um, as I started out as a seller fraud agent, where I just viewed um, fraudulent activity based on a, or delivered to a fraud queue. And 12 months later, I was already uh, promoted to the credit risk apart- department, uh, where I Performed credit analysis on on merchants, on smaller merchants first. At this at the time, it was in two thousand eleven. I started uh, studying for a bachelor degree in Dublin uh, in business administration, and that has helped me because uh, the the studies were also focused on accounting, so it had had helped me with with the financial analysis and. I then moved uh, to another department called underwriting for large merchants um, and for, for high-profile merchants. And uh, in at PayPal, I also had the opportunity to lead a team of 12 fraud agents. So basically where I started, uh, and then five years later, I was uh, the team leader for, for a fraud team. <clears throat> um, in 2015, then, I decided to move back to Germany because I got headhunted by a German fintech company uh, called Paymill and it was founded uh, by Rocket Internet. I, I probably, it, uh, you know, Rocket Internet, it's a big incubator, uh, European-wide, and um, Paymill, uh, has the business model of Stripe so it was basically the German equivalent to Stripe. And there I was uh, the head of sales, responsible for sales, account management and sharing management and uh, Paymail uh, is based in Munich and I was hired in Berlin so um, when they asked me to move to Munich in 2017 For personal reasons, I decided not to, and I stayed in Berlin and uh, looked for another uh, job. And actually, I wanted to widen my skill set and started looking for a job in consulting and was hired in 2008. 2018, uh, beginning of 2018 as a consultant for the MSG group, and it's um, a bigger, it's not part of the four uh, big consultancy groups uh, that we all know, but it's uh, a smaller one with still 8,000 employees worldwide. And uh, here uh, at MSG uh, group, I'm responsible for building up uh, or for creating a FinTech consultancy department uh, at, at our company. Lately, I've been focusing on establishing an, an, a social media presence and just to, um, you know, to give advice uh, or to bring the topic of fintech closer to people who maybe don't uh, get in touch with fintech so much and who want to understand more. So on, on top of all this, I'm also a freelance translator because after all, I, uh, I studied languages. So um, I'm, in my free time, I'm translating uh, on contract law mostly, uh, German-English and English-German.
0: I mean, this all sounds fascinating, especially with like how your career journey has evolved over time. And mm-hmm. it seems to be at each milestone you've kind of developed yourself even more in the FinTech industry yeah. and now yeah. being a freelance, uh, you know, it's just exciting. Like this is something from, you said you've been doing since, what, from the age of 20, where you really kind of knew that you wanted Correct. to do something? Yeah, yeah,
1: so actually 12 years
0: now, yeah. Gosh, I mean, th- I think a lot of our listeners will find this uh, quite an interesting podcast to listen to, because like you just mentioned, we're going to be talking about um, risk management, um, which is a key topic in fintech um, that we want to try and uh, find out more about today. So um, just we're talking about fintech in general, perhaps you could maybe um, explain you know, in your own words, or describe in your own words, what fintech means to you? Or yeah. what, what is fintech?
1: So for me, fintechs are companies that offer innovative products and services that are often less costly, um, more convenient, and uh, less complex than traditional uh, bank offerings. In short, you could also say it's uh, a new financial industry that applies technology to improve uh, financial activities. And mostly because uh, the companies are using new technology, these companies are very young and small. uh, So they started out as small businesses, but if they um, do have a very good uh, business model, they obviously become bigger, they're, out, they're going to be backed up by investors and have large good funding and they become a big enterprise.
0: That's great. Um, I suppose one thing which um, would be nice to lead on to from that point you've just said about obviously starting off as a sort of a small uh, startup company and then it builds on to be something bigger. Could you talk about um, or tell us a bit more about the history of fintech, you know, and I suppose how how has fintech become so popular?
1: Yeah, that's um, a very good question. I actually read a paper on this. Um, the paper is from 2018 and uh, it uh, treats the or the head of it, uh, the title of it is Evolution of Fintechs. It was written by Arner, Barbaris, and Buckley. And what they do is that they um, cluster the FinTech evolution in three stages, in three eras, uh, which is FinTech 1.0, FinTech 2.0, and FinTech 3.0. And uh, FinTech 1.0 basically starts in, in the 19th century in uh, 1866, and it lasts about 100 years until 1966. And this era uh, is about infrastructure and setting up uh, uh, financial globalization. So some key events uh, in this era were 1866, uh, the setting up of the Transatlantic Cable, and uh, in uh, 1950, so almost uh, 80 years later, um, the first credit card by Diners Club. So uh, this set up, you know, basically the the infrastructure to make make orders by phone and to pay with, not with cash, you know, in other means. And then um, the second FinTech era uh, 2.0 commenced in 1967 and the the authors say it ended in 2008. And uh, this is all about, this era is all about banks and the shift from being analog to digital. So here the key events were um, the first ATM setup in 1967, mm-hmm. uh, the establishment of NASDAQ uh, as the first digi- digital stock exchange in 1971. Obviously um, the incorporation or uh, setting up of SWIFT for you know, as as communication means for between banks and uh, on transactions in 1973 and also in the 80s personal computers started to become popular and so did online banking then 10 years later or yeah 15 years later in 1999 end of the 90s we had the dot-com bubble and yeah yeah, and also in 89 was founded and uh, this era uh, or fintech 2.0 ends with the globalization uh, sorry with the global financial crisis in 2008 and uh, this in turn started the third uh, 3.0 fintech era um, because people lost their trust in banks so um, this ERA 2.0 is actually uh, kept, is about startups and new entrants entering the market. So people lost their trust in traditional banking and they were now more open for new players on the market. And uh, with the launch of the iPhone, you also had a, a, a smartphone penetration started uh, on the market in 2009 the bitcoin was launched as another key milestone then we had google wallet and apple pay in 2011 and uh, 2014 respectively there's also uh, another era which they which the authors mention on on the site which is uh, 3.5 fintech 3.5 and this is what we are uh, in right now and it's basically you know looking at the developing countries because they have actually a very high uh, fintech usage so um, if we look at china they have 69% of uh, fintech usage and India, for example, 52%. And the authors mentioned that uh, basically the in the developing countries, there was no time and also maybe no budget uh, to develop Western levels of uh, physical banking infrastructure. So now the developing countries are actually in the advantage that they don't have the legacy infrastructure and that you can build up on on new uh, systems and are more open for for new banking systems.
0: Yeah. I think Janine, with what you've just you know explained, the timeline as it were, Mm -hmm. of how things have actually, it's amazing to think when you do look back and, you know, just going back to even, you know, the late 1960s and how everything has really changed over time, the innovation and the development in fintech is actually quite I don't know it's very exciting isn't it actually you you think now it's you know all with the power of just using your phone um, to Mm -hmm. access something which is it's almost as though it's called you know fintech magic that you're using your phone to access something so quickly but with it being so many decades ago you'd be going like you said to an ATM you'd be going somewhere which is actually just well I suppose it's more back then it was very much kind of the human interaction you were still getting with a a fintech company whereas now it's very much gaining uh, more experience of your digital footprint and putting it all into place of, you know, sitting at home using your phone. Like you said, you know, PayPal yeah. is v- very easy to use where you can actually just do a payment, it's sorted and it's out there. But, yeah. you know, I, I think for our listeners, um, you know, just saying with what you have just talked about, something that really is going to be um, something for them to listen to and find out actually how we've evolved over time. Um, so thank, thank you for explaining that.
1: You're, um, you're welcome.
0: Like I said before, uh, we were going to be talking about uh, risk management. That's kind of being our key topic for the podcast Mm -hmm. today. So could you just explain what does risk management mean, uh, especially from the perspective of uh, fintechs?
1: You know, many believe that risk management is about avoiding risk. But the key is actually that it is uh, understanding risk in order to be able to mitigate or minimize it. You know, fintechs they weren't as strongly uh, regulated as banks up to now. Um, so obviously, before they they also had to um, adhere to the consumer protection acts and bank secrecy and uh, compliance acts. Um, but um, it, there wasn't as much scrutiny as there is for large banks as we know them, and uh, I think this uh, gave the fintechs the time to appreciate uh, what risk management can do for them, uh, not only to protect uh, their their revenue, you know, and maybe even to to accelerate it, but also um, to give them the chance to learn from the mistakes that they made in risk management. And also we have to consider that fintechs, uh, they do have, uh, they focus on new technology and new business models. So they also have uh, new risks that they need to tackle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, what is important for, for, I think for every company, not only for fintechs, is that uh, a risk appetite and a risk policy needs to be defined throughout the company and this risk culture needs to be lived uh, throughout the, the company and everyone needs to understand it and adhere to it. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, that's great. Uh, but I think w- what you've just highlighted is risk management is not just taken as something which is assessing the risks um, mm-hmm. of FinTech, it's actually a lot that needs to go behind it to be very head conscious of what uh, needs to be kind of thought, you know, of the absolutely. different risks on a daily basis in fintech is not just um, something that you see in black and white it's kind of mm-hmm. so many things over time where you actually need to be aware of what's happening is that right to say
1: yes absolutely absolutely
0: we're talking about risk management what are those typical risks within a fintech for example you know with uh, paypal as a um, payment service provider
1: yeah yeah so i think um the most obvious risk uh, would be compliance risk which uh, every every financial um, institute needs to adhere to. So uh, this compa- uh, contains also the enhanced due diligence and uh, anti-money laundering. So let's say if uh, if a new if a customer uh, mm-hmm. wants to open an account, uh, the customer needs to undergo a KYC or a KYB uh, process. Meaning, know your customer or know your business, and um, here <clears throat> the <clears throat> sorry, the PSP would usually ask for a proof of identity, for proof of bank statements, just to verify that uh, the customer is who he says. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, in special cases, uh, for example, when uh, the the new customer is a politically exposed person, or or um, the customer comes from a, from a country that is on a sanction list, you would then start an enhanced due diligence review, which means it's a little, you know, regarding AML, there are a little bit more stricter uh, controls in place for that. And also... Uh, from a, from a business perspective, um, there are companies uh, that have very cash-intensive business models, or maybe from a data perspective, uh, data protection um, requirement, they are not allowed to share too many documents. So this would also request um, uh, or demand and an due diligence review, mm. and these is all this is all underlying for, from the EU anti-money laundering directive. And then <clears throat> as uh, another risk, uh, you or, uh, a PSP would have rent risk. So this is when the expected level of uh, competence, uh, integrity and trustworthiness is negatively influenced by bad press or other events. So in the case of a PSP, um, a PSP would Um, probably set up a brand risk policy in which it defines um, uh, what levels of brand risk they uh, would accept. For example, um, I think if, it, if it's a proper fintech, it doesn't want to get associated with uh, weapons or with illegal drugs, or, or so. For example, and so what um, PSPs do? They do run a transaction monitoring, and they would uh, look for look for these keywords. Or now, in the case. Uh, You can also um, adapt artificial intelligence and use the image um, detection, for example, for image uh, recognition, for uh, detecting any any images um, that are unwanted. And from this transaction monitoring, you can calculate a reputational index and that can be applied to your risk appetite on the bank risk. And then you have your typical risk control options, which are uh, avoid, secure, control, or accept risk. Another uh, risk, which is also very dominant, is uh, credit risk. This is obviously where a debtor cannot pay, or he pays too late, or he doesn't pay in full. And uh, focus, uh, the focus of banking is on intelligent, well-informed assumptions of the credit risk at the right price. So when we determine the credit risk, we look at expected losses and trying to calculate them in a quantitative way. So how, how likely the debtor will default. And um, in traditional underwritings or risk reviews, uh, you would do this by looking at credit scoring, um, by reviewing the financial data of the customer and uh, by collateral evaluation. So by looking at the collateral the customer provides. In banks, this process usually takes uh, between two and three days. Uh, With fintechs, uh, it's a bit quicker because, uh, as I said earlier, fintechs provide convenient and um, better customer service. And so they need to be faster with onboardings as well. So in turn, the underwriting needs to be faster. And uh, while they focus on credit scoring, financial data, and collateral evaluation as well, they also take a chance to look at the. at the behavior on a customer's social media, for example, or um, at the history how he spent money before. I think traditional banks do this do this as well by analyzing the. Uh, it's almost like it's the
0: um, the algorithms you see sometimes on social media, where it's. Um, I know I've had it before, where I've been on my phone and either i go to look at something and then suddenly an advert will come up with a bank that either mm-hmm. i am using or it's a suggested bank which kind of subconsciously you're thinking oh actually should i then switch to that provider because it looks yeah. like it's a secure uh, reliable convenient provider to use you know like you said before it's if you've got bad press for being a payment provider then it's going to affect how consumers see you but yeah it's just something that you see on a general basis where you've got different uh, payment providers where you think oh have they been listening to my conversations do they know that you know i'm thinking of changing you know to yeah, to someone yeah. else yeah yeah yeah
1: exactly uh, <laughs> like this um yeah so what what i wanted to say uh, basically is that for for the underwriting for fintechs would only take a few hours in, uh-huh. in comparison to the banks then I would consider fraud risk as one of the typical risks in fintechs, um, um, especially looking at, uh, from a perspective of a PSP, of a payment service provider, you've got um, a buyer and a seller. So the seller, a merchant, can have uh, fraudulent activities like uh, a non-delivery or an incorrect delivery because maybe he doesn't have the goods in stock right now, or maybe he had no intention to ship at all. And for buyers, uh, the typical fraud uh, risks there would be identity theft, account takeover, phishing, so where you're trying to get onto information in a a fraudulent way, and um, obviously payment fraud. So using another credit card uh, to, to buy things online and in the context of this uh, collusion is often mentioned and collusion is basically where two parties act in a fraudulent consent in order to achieve a financial advantage for both parties so that happens often Uh, it's also called friendly fraud where um, you know for example in an an household maybe they they um, try to uh, use another credit card or try to access the account and then the other party who is actually the mother, for example, lives in the same house but says uh, actually I was hacked and then they get the money back and they kind of both had an advantage, they split the, <laughs> the earnings. Uh, and in, in, uh, in fraud risk, uh, you, can, you can mitigate the risk by um, implementing fraud rules in, in transaction monitoring. And these, like you said previously, it was on on the case of social media. But uh, these fraud rules are also based on algorithms, and they basically they screen every transaction on suspicious patterns. And uh, another risk that I would consider typical uh, would be uh, the legal risk. So um, this is just when it, when it when it comes to uh, uh, potential damage because of incorrect application of the law, and here um, in a in a PSP, what I've seen is that the legal department handles the mediation of disputes when a customer complains, and maybe he he has he makes legal threats or he threats that he wants to go to to press to the media and uh, report about it. And also, uh, here, there would be uh, GDPR, um, you know, data protection issues mm-hmm. uh, which, uh, that be treated in within the legal risk and, of course, contract law. So, um, you know, when you want to uh, mitigate the credit risk by, for example, by providing a bank guarantee or, or a parent guarantee, then uh, the legal, there is also legal risk if, if the documents are valid or not, so this needs to go uh, undergo the legal, to the legal department.
0: So Janine, one thing which um, we talked about a bit earlier was obviously risk management in general, what it is and how mm-hmm. it's kind of influenced um, and been highlighted a lot of the time in uh, the fintech industry. Just want to um, ask you a question on risk management do you think um with how we are witnessing 2020 as a whole you know um, how it's affecting different industries and whether it's hospitality fintech industries um do you think risk management is something that's actually being vamped up at the moment the a lot of companies are being very more not head conscious they're kind of it's sort of like it's a red flag that's kind of been put up for a lot of companies to kind of be very much more aware of what's going on, especially with this year? Absolutely. Yes,
1: absolutely. Um, Aside from COVID, which also uh, provokes a lot of um, thinking uh, in risk management, how we can you know make sure that the company is is still uh, able to continue its businesses so here Uh we look at the BCP at the business continuity plan which also needs to be set in place but aside from this um, there was also this big massive event which I as a German obviously um, I'm kind of obliged to talk about is the Wirecard scandal so uh, we had you know, Wirecard was one of the promising fintechs, uh, and Germany was very proud—or uh, at least the fintech um, representatives—they were very proud of it. That uh, it got into the into the stock exchange, you know, and it became really huge. But it turned out it was all a big. <laughs> dream uh, because they were actually fraudulent. So this uh, actually got um, you know uh, the German authorities for for financial su- supervisory. They are also in, involved, and now um, they're they're looking they're looking to investigate who what brought this on. How could that not be detected? And uh, I think. This is going to be a very uh, big thing coming into into um, you know coming into play now that the authorities, the European banking supervision, even that they uh, need to deal with stricter risk management or stricter uh, regulation for fintechs mm. uh, in total. So I it think does, there's going to be a lot that we can expect from this point of view for Fintech.
0: Yeah, coming. absolutely. I think I was just going to say with, um, with what you've just said, it seems to be uh, one thing which is kind of put more as a negative experience that we've seen, uh, you know, as a, I suppose, globally, um, a lot of people or a lot of companies are still taking the advantage of trying to uh, create I suppose scams or whatnot with everything going on in 2020 it seems to be a very vulnerable spot for think tech companies to be kind of I suppose indirectly mm-hmm. liable for because you've got so many different companies that are trying to eke into the system um, yeah. but hopefully with all these risk managements happening and you know better uh, protocols going into place and regulations it is kind of making sure that companies still maintain safe um, in 2020.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And just because uh, it happened to to Wirecard, it doesn't mean that, you know, uh, it it would happen to all bigger fintechs. Or, But um, I think this was a very important step that needed maybe to happen, because now authorities focus on what is important. And I hope that they do not regulate too much uh, uh, so that they that prevent innovation that will be that will be
0: the opposite of what we want yeah absolutely that's one thing we um we, we would like to see you know the successful uh, journey that's happening with innovation and how it is constantly mm. evolving you mm. know especially with 2020 being a journey you know over the last yeah. few months it <laughs> seems to be one thing as a positive is seeing this uh, the success of innovation and kind of the digital transformation that's still being men- maintained in fintech is something that's wonderful.
1: Yeah,
0: um, Janine, I'm just uh, just thinking. Obviously, um, I suppose one of my final questions for uh, risk assessment um, or risk management is: um, Can you answer what should a good risk strategy for fintechs entail?
1: So, as I as I mentioned earlier, uh, a good uh, a good risk management should have um, risk policy in place, which um, <laughs> Does not only look at the um, at the operational risks that I have gone through uh-huh. uh, earlier, but also uh, looks at strategic risks, IT risks. So this is called a risk management framework, uh-huh. and. Uh, It helps you basically to identify uh, the the existing risks and potential risks, and and how to deal with them when they arise. And in this document, um, everything needs to be uh, very detailed to the point where you can always refer to and um, apply what it is. So um, there are. Um, five parts of this uh, which is first um, the identification of the risk so here you find out whether it's a core risk that actually drives performance and um, uh, focuses on long-term growth that you need to to mitigate or if it's a non-core risk then you would have uh, uh or it would uh, the risk framework would contain measurement metrics. So here it's important that you define whether it's uh, a quantitative uh, risk and you can calculate it for example as an um, exposure in, in, in a euro amount as a probability of loss or if you categorize it as low medium or high risk, As a next point, um, part of this framework would also be uh, the mitigation options. Um, So, here it's important just to write down whether. First of all, how you want to mitigate? Are you willing to accept risk? Are you willing to um, avoid it? To control it? And by controlling, you can you have um, different options in place. For example, reserves—you uh, know, apply reserves or um, use collaterals. For example, bank guarantees mm-hmm. or entirely block transactions. So this all needs to be um, mentioned in in this part of the framework. Obviously, uh, you need to have a reporting and monitoring part. So uh, this is to ensure that the risk levels remain at optimal uh, levels for your, for your risk appetite that you accept. And um, this monitoring and reporting should be uh, done by risk managers who have the authorities to adjust risk exposures or their appetite, uh, depending on, on the circumstances. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, it should also contain a, a governance part, uh, what I mean by that is that this part of the risk management framework should define the roles and the responsibilities, the authorities and uh, the sign-offs of risk approvers, potential risk approvers of those uh, roles and positions yes um so um
0: I was just going to say Janine obviously um it's been a pleasure finding out more about risk management today and obviously um about yourself and your career journey so far is there um anything else that you'd like to talk about because obviously um, I was going to mention that um you are known for being I suppose the lady fintech um yeah. to some of uh, some of them uh, the other people in the fintech industry is there anything else that you'd like to talk about uh, just for a moment or two about that
1: yeah, actually, thank you for mentioning that. Um, yes, so I um, I am Lady FinTech, <laughs> and basically what I do is, like I mentioned earlier, I want to bring the topic of FinTech. I want to um, uh, bring it into the world of uh, non-Fintech enthusiasts, mm-hmm. maybe people that heard uh, the term and that they want to find out more about it, but uh, they're not sure. Um, you know, when they read about it, uh, there are a lot of key and buzzwords um, that they may may not understand. So I want to do it in quite easy terms. And I do have um, a a website, which is uh, lady-fintech.com. And here I I offer downloads for infographics, for example, or I also have a few blog entries, which are, um, I think, worth... Uh, to give it a try to read and yeah and if you have any questions uh, regarding fintech um, you can contact me at any time uh, on lady-fintech.com and or on my social media presences
0: I think um, with with what you've just explained we've kind of witnessed that some of our listeners are actually uh beginners or you know are willing to find out more information that they don't necessarily already know so i think Mm -hmm. um what we'll do is obviously um we'll add in the description your information so they can find you because it doesn't definitely sounds like something you know that a lot of non-fintech uh companies or um the general public that don't necessarily know um, a lot yeah. about it um, with your service. It definitely sounds like something which is um, fun and exciting to find about fintech. Because yeah. for me personally, I, I thoroughly enjoy finding out about fintech. So I'm sure a lot of our listeners who tune in um, feel the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, well um, Janine I wish we could talk for longer but um, our time is uh, running out unfortunately but um, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today so thank you so much for giving us some of your insights
1: thank you and thank you again so much for, for interviewing me